Hallelujah. Come on and give the Lord some praise this morning. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Give the Lord some praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on and give the Lord some praise this morning. Come on. If you know you're never going to be broke another day in your life, give the Lord some praise. I ain't just talking money, bro. I mean, you ain't never going to be broke nowhere in your life. You ain't going to be broke with relationships. You ain't going to be broke where your heart is concerned. You ain't going to be broke where your mind is concerned. You will never lack for anything another day in your life. Come on, if you believe that, go ahead and give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I mean, no, God is good. Listen, what you're, what you're beginning to see is what God, God is wanting to begin this process of manifestation. We, we know it's done, but manifestation. And, I, and I'm telling you that, that it's, it's going to seem like Everything is happening so fast, but really we're catching up to what God is doing. We're catching up to what God is doing. And I'm telling you, God is going to, he's just, he's going to start to do things that are even going to amaze us. Not because we don't know that he can't do it, but he's going, he's just going to start to amaze us because of the things that he's going to far exceed some of the things we're believing for. And so I want you all to just, I, I want you to just bask in this for just a moment. I want you to just, you know, Chris was singing that song talking about we, we, we live in the overflow. And, and then she added that thing at the end and said, and it's mine. It's one thing to see somebody else in the overflow, but it's another thing to know you're in the overflow. And I couldn't help but think about that scripture in John 10 and 10 when it says, I am come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly and the amplified says to the full and then and, and, and then till it overflows he says that's that's that is why i have come so the overflow lifestyle is not some lifestyle that we have to be ashamed of it's not some lifestyle that we have to be you know say well, we gotta we gotta tone it down he said i i died yes. so did you not collectively, individually. If it, was, if it was nobody on the earth, I'd have still died so that you could have lived in the overflow even if it was just you on the earth. And I heard the Lord say this. He said, your overflow lifestyle will be a testament to others to get to know me. He said, your overflow lifestyle, the way you live, how large you live will be a testament about how good I am that others will see it and want to know who I am. So don't be ashamed. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. Say, don't be ashamed when the overflow starts overflowing. Come on, somebody give God some praise for that. Don't be ashamed. Listen, I'm not going to be ashamed of the building we build. I'm not going to be ashamed of the buildings that we build. I'm not going to be ashamed of the scholarships we give out. I'm not going to be ashamed of all the things that we do. I'm not going to be ashamed of the cars in the parking lots when people are coming to church. I'm not going to be ashamed. He said, because we've sown seed for that. We've sown seed for that. So we can't be afraid of that. We can't be ashamed of that when it starts to happen. 
Listen, I'm going to let you sit down in just a moment, but I want to tell you something. In the month of August, Pastor Sean is going to pick back up teaching for a month or so. But I want to encourage you right now that you begin to invite people to come to church in the month of August. I'm going to give you a challenge that our goal is to grow out of this place before school starts back. That our goal is to grow out of this place before school starts back. Now, why do I say that? I say that because I believe there are people in this city who needs to hear the word that comes out of my wife's mouth. Not just because she's my wife, but because every time she speaks, people's lives get changed. Listen, I am staving off the people on the East Coast right now. I am. They, they are calling. They are saying, Pastor, we got 100 people who have committed to give $100 a month above our tithes and offerings if you or Pastor Sean would just come and start a church here. And what I'm getting ready to tell you is that you can't allow somebody who only gets to see her occasionally want to pull away what you have. Now, I believe that years ago, the Lord told us when we were, when we were in Westwood, some of y'all, it may have been one or two of y'all here when we were in Westwood. But when, we were in, when we were at the Westwood location, one night the Lord told us, he said, he told us we would have multiple locations and that they would be across the country. And when we built our very first website, think about this, the very first website we ever built, the very first one we ever had commissioned, it started off with a little speck in what was Northwest Arkansas. And the stars just branched out everywhere. And the Lord reminded me of that. He said, just because you didn't think it was possible anymore didn't mean I forgot. He said, because I would never let one of my words return to me void. And so I'm telling you, you need to get ready. Get, you need to get ready for crowds because they're coming. You, you, you need to get ready to be leaders because everybody in here is going to need to be a leader. Everybody in here is going to have to be able to minister and disciple someone else because they're coming because the Lord's word will not fall on deaf ears. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you that in the month of August, do what you can. Invite people to come hear her. Listen, and sometimes, sometimes people in the area, they think they know you because they're in the area. Listen, if they haven't sat under this teaching, they don't know. Because I'm telling you, you can laugh, you can joke, and then in a moment you can hear a word that'll change your life. And so I just believe there are some things that are going to happen in the coming months, and I want you to be a part of them. Listen, if you don't have to miss church, don't miss. I'm telling you, the Lord, listen, we had decided that we was going to have fast church. We was going to come in because we got, I got to catch a plane. We got some stuff we was going to get done. We were going to have fast church. But how many of you know that sometimes fast ain't what the Lord the Lord want to do? And so what, one thing, even though we can plan fast, we're always going to yield to the Holy Spirit. We're going to always yield to what Holy Spirit wants. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'm telling you, listen, Pastor Sean said so, oh, she said some good stuff. She said some good stuff. We, we, so when I left, we left to go out there on the 11th, and I left that Sunday because I had to go to Charlotte, and she didn't leave. She came back on Tuesday. But we just been talking the whole time back and forth just about people keep giving up these prophetic words about us and about y'all. So 
you remember the first night when the praise team came out in all white on the stage and, and, and that, that pink background was back there and they were singing? All I saw was our praise team singing. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I, believe, I believe that too. It's, it's, it's all I saw. And God said, and God, I'm standing and I'm going, man, this is beautiful. This is awesome. They were worshiping. And he said, this is what I want to share with all the people in Arkansas. He said, and I want to do it through y'all. He said, I want to do it. I want to do it through y'all. And, and, and literally, I, what, what the Lord was saying is he was like, don't, don't shrink back because you haven't seen it yet. He said, you, you keep doing what you're doing. You keep pushing and, and, and you watch and see. He said, there'll be a time where you'll have to open the doors an hour before service so the people can get in and find a seat. And I don't know about you, but I receive it. And, and, I, and I don't just receive it because I want a big church to say I got a big church. I believe that we have the ability to teach people balance so that they can live a Christian life and still be normal people. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about what he's going to do. I'm going to dismiss the kids in just a minute. But before I do, Angel, I want you to come back for just a moment. Um, in the month of July, I've been taking the opportunity to do something. And uh, we were gone and you were gone and, and, and we haven't had a chance to do this. But we've been honoring the people who serve as greeters. Uh, and so I've been giving them one of my favorite things. And you know, my favorite thing is cash. And so I want to take this opportunity to tell you thank you for serving. Thank you for sowing. Thank you for believing. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, and I just want to give you that. I, we bless the other people. And I want to bless you, too. So God bless you. I want to give that to you. All right. I'm going to dismiss the children. Uh, and after I dismiss the kids, uh, we're going to get in and, and see what the Lord does real quick. And then uh, we're still going to go eat. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, give the Lord some praise. Greet each other. Uh, children, you may be dismissed. Uh, Chris is going to go with you in just a little bit. <clears throat> Listen, God is good, man. I'm telling you, God is good. God is God is so good. He is so awesome. He's just a wonderful, 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 wonderful God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, be where that oil is. Mm-hmm. My God today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I, you've had a chance to greet everybody. I'm going to ask you to come back into the sanctuary, and we're going to get started today.
Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible or your phone, your tablet, whatever it is that you use to engage with the Word of God and make our confession this morning and then get right into our teaching. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your love and your kindness. I thank you for the way you allow Holy Spirit to just move as he sees fit in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the collective that is here today. I thank you for their hearts to hear and their minds to digest and receive the word that you would have for them. I ask you to dip me and hide me behind the cross so that men may see you and glorify you. I ask that you would touch my lips and my tongue, give me what to say and how to say it. And then I ask that you allow the words that come out of my mouth to fall on the hearts of the people that they may be receptive to do what it is you instruct them to do. Speak to them, Lord, even as I speak right now in Jesus' name. I ask that you allow this to be done so that they can be bold and confident in the things you have called them for. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's go in the book of Matthew. Let's begin this morning in the book of Matthew, Matthew, the ninth chapter. Now, today is going to be the final um, teaching that I will do for this particular series entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. Now, what you have to know is that you never really exhaust a, a subject you just kind of get to a place where you allow people to chew on what they have and then you move on and you teach something else and connect it to it and you come back and you revisit it. And so uh, this would be our eighth uh, teaching on this particular subject. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed teaching it. I've enjoyed teaching it because uh, I have, I've, I've, as I'm teaching it, I am re, I, I'm, I, I've had to learn to reevaluate my words, to watch what I'm saying, to watch what I'm doing. I, I, I used to say God's going to a lot, and I've had to change that instead of saying God's going to, to saying I, I receive it already. Uh, and, and, and it sounds like it may just be semantics, but it really has been a shift in my mindset, realizing that everything I'm believing for is already done. And now, really, I'm just I'm, I'm in the process of, of just waiting and thanking God for manifestation. But it's a done deal. Those things that God has promised me, it's a done deal. The multiple locations is a done deal. The businesses, it's a done deal. Everything that all the, the need for all the because sometimes I get overwhelmed. I think about all the the workers and volunteers that would be needed to to run a large ministry. And and I realize that if God's gonna give you a large ministry, He's gonna give you the volunteers to do it too. And so I I put all of that in God's hands and just and just stop tripping about all that. And so this has been a great series for me. Uh, we spent the first a couple of weeks just, just kind of doing a foundational teaching about living in the balance of grace and faith. And then we kind of picked up some individual uh, subjects. Uh, we talked about understanding God's redemption plan. And how many know that God has a, had a plan for our redemption and that once we accepted that plan, our mistakes don't get us out of that plan anymore? That we, we say, I am the redeemed of the Lord. And, and you have to know that if you are saved, mistakes don't unsave you. And I, and I think that's a powerful position to understand that God is not responding to us based on whether we've messed up. He loved us when we was all messed up. He loved us when we was 100% messed up. And so if we make a mistake now, he does not throw us away. Amen. And then we got into talking about the reality of our faith. 
Uh, and, and then the last couple of weeks, we talked about that, that faith that we talked about, that while, while we need faith, faith is important because we spend a lot of time talking about grace. And, and I never wanted anybody to think, well, then we don't need faith. No, you need grace and faith because you got to have faith in his grace in order to receive the manifestation. And so we began to talk about the reality of that faith. And then we started talking about faith being based on knowledge. And how many know that you have to have a knowledge of who God is in order to appropriate your faith? Amen. Because tell your neighbor, say faith is not just wishing because everybody can wish. Everybody wishes, but faith is really about understanding what God has said to you about your life and how he has already made provisions for it. So what faith does is faith just appropriates what God has already done. And so today I want us to begin talking about uh, this last subject, which is funny because we actually did it today before I ever start teaching about it, which is your response to faith or the response of your faith. Tell your neighbor, say your faith must respond. In fact, some of you have heard these scriptures before. It says that faith without works is what? Dead. And so we're going to begin in Matthew, the ninth chapter, and we're going to read just a short little bit, but you're going to see three miraculous things that take place all because of people's faith. Say, my faith does not move God. Say, but my faith will cause me to receive what he's already done. I think that's the most important thing I'm going to say to you today. Your faith doesn't move God. And, and, and why do I say it like that? Because your faith is not the thing that changes God's mind. If you need healing, your faith, God doesn't say, well, I don't know if I'm going to heal him. And then you say, and then you say well, I got faith. And he goes, oh, you got faith, I'm going to heal you. That's not how it works. Healing is already yours. Faith connects you to it. So your faith didn't move God. In some ways, people don't like this, but I say it like this. God has already done everything he's ever going to do. God has already done everything he's ever going to do. The great news is, is that means your success has already been predetermined. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, your success has already been predetermined then you ought to give God some praise like you already know you won. And so we're going to talk about the response of your faith. So Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to begin in, in verse 18. I'm going to read this out of the King James Version, but I'm going to refer some of these scriptures to the message as I read it. So in the 18th uh, verse of Matthew chapter 9, here's what it says. It says, while he spake these things, talking about Jesus, it says, behold, there came a certain ruler and a worshiper and said, my, uh, wor worshiping him, saying, my daughter is even now dead. But now come and lay thy hand up on her and she shall live. Verse 19 says, and Jesus arose and followed him. And so did Jesus, his disciples. So here is this man who comes to Jesus. He asked Jesus, in essence, to come and to heal his dead daughter. Verse 20 says, and behold, a woman which disease, with, was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Now notice Jesus was on his way to do something for someone else when someone else came and pulled on Jesus for something else. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, whenever you are in a faith fight, don't 
get distracted. You got to understand. Now, here this man is. He, 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 he's, he's asked Jesus to come heal his daughter. And on the way to heal his daughter, somebody else gets Jesus' attention. Understand, just because something may not be happening as fast as you think, don't think something's not happening. When Pastor Sean says something supernatural always happens when you give, the moment you give, supernatural starts to take place. Just because you don't see it in six hours or 12 hours or 24 hours, don't discount that something supernatural is happening on your behalf. Verse 21 says, For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But Jesus turned about him, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Why? Your faith has what? Made thee whole. Notice, he didn't say, I made you whole. What did he say? He said, your faith has done what? Made you whole. This word whole here is the same word that we use, shalom, or peace. He says, your faith has made it so that nothing else will be missing in your life. When we tell this story, we talk about the fact that the issue of blood got healed. But the reality is Jesus never comes and just heals one part of your life. If you get touched by Jesus, it heals everything in your life that's broken. So when he says to her, he says, you've been made whole. It wasn't just the issue she had. It was everything in her life was repaired. The Bible then says in verse 23, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. Sometimes in your life, there will seem like things are in your life that are dead, and you'll be still believing, and people will try to convince you that you ought to just leave it alone, that it's not for you, that you miss God. But don't you dare give up on your faith. You allow your faith to stick around and connect you to what God has already done. Jesus never would have went there if he thought that she couldn't be raised from the dead. The fact that Jesus is involved in your life means he wants something to live. It then says in verse 25, but when the people were put forth, he went in and he took her by the hand and the maid arose. And the fame there and and the fame hereof went abroad in all of the land. Verse 27 says, and now when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed behind him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them. Now in the message translation, here's what he says. In the, in the King James, he says, Do you believe that I can do this? In the, in the King James, he says, Believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Yes, Lord. Now in the message translation, in verse 29, it says that Jesus touched their eyes and said this. Then become what you believe. He asked them a question. Literally, they said, Lord, we we, we see you heal the woman with the issue of blood. Lord, you raised the girl that was dead. Lord, can you help us see? He didn't say I could help you. His first question is, what's your position on it? Do you believe I can do? Because if you don't believe I can do this, even though I know I can do this, it can't be done for you. He says, do you believe I can do this thing you ask? And they said, yes, master, we believe. He says, then become what you believe. The question for the day is my response of faith is, will I become what I say I'm believing? Am I going to become what I, if I say I'm healed, will I become healed? Will I begin to act like I'm healed before I'm healed? Will I say I'm healed before the doctor says I'm healed? 
If, 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 I, if I got money issues, will I say I'll never be broke another day in my life, even when it feels like my bank account is at a negative? What will I become? And so as believers, we have to understand that we need both a combination of grace and faith in order to see the power of God released and active in our lives. I got to have faith, but my faith can't just be in some, my faith can't be in me. My faith has to be in God's grace. My faith can't be in how strong I can believe. Because watch this, if you can believe strong, there's something strong enough to shake your faith. But if you believe in the strongest thing, nothing can shake your faith. So, so, so that's why when, when, in the, when in the Bible, Jesus got ready to make a, he got ready to make a promise one time. And literally what he said was this. It says he looked around. He looked at the stars, the moon, the mountains. He looked at everything and he couldn't find anything greater to swear by. So the Bible says he swore by himself. And, and, and when it comes to believing, you don't need to put your trust in your education. You don't need to put your trust in your networking. Don't put your trust in how smart you can be. You need to put your trust in what God has already done. Emphasizing either one, grace or faith, is the wrong turn to make. You have to understand, your faith has to be in God's grace. That's how you got saved. You had faith to believe what God had done. He had sent his son Jesus to die for you, and you read or you heard that it said, whosoever shall believe, whosoever shall confess, shall be saved. And you had faith in what he had done. And as a result, you were saved. And I wish I could get somebody this morning to have faith in what he's already done for you. Not, not your faith trying to convince God to do something. God's already done it. You don't have to try to have enough faith to get God to do something. He's already made provision for you. We've read so many times where he's already said he gave us everything that pertained to life and godliness. Grace and faith taken by themselves at the exclusion of the other is actually disastrous for your life. Because if you only take grace, you're always waiting for something to happen. If you just take faith, you think that somehow you can make it happen and you become frustrated when it doesn't. You need to have faith in his grace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Notice that he says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That word saved there means to be delivered. I am delivered by grace because I believe I'm delivered. That's how you get your deliverance because you believe. It says in that not of yourselves but it is the gift of God. You must recognize that some things are from God and that some things are from the devil and you have to be able to discern what those are so that you don't get so excited about receiving what you think you are believing God for that you end up with a counterfeit. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You are the one who allows Satan to come into your life if he comes. God does not use Satan as some, uh, some boogeyman to get you to do what he wants you to do. And, and, and we got to change our thinking on that, and we have to not allow other people to think that. God does not use the devil to whoop the saints so he can get the saints to do what he wants them to do. James chapter 4 verse 7 goes on to say, it says, Your adversary, the devil, 
is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Understand the devil cannot devour everybody and he cannot do things to you without your consent or cooperation. The devil cannot do anything to you unless you allow him. That's what Pastor Sean was saying earlier when she was doing confessions. She was saying the truth of the matter is that if we learn to trust God, the devil really doesn't become an issue. He really doesn't become an issue. Why? Because he only has access to your life through your thoughts. If the devil wanted to kill you and he could, he'd have done it a long time ago. If he could have physically took your life, he would have done it a long time ago. But he needs your cooperation. Even something as small as this, texting and driving. Texting and driving is dangerous. If you text and drive a lot and you do it all the time and you don't pay attention and you have a wreck, you can't get to heaven and say, God, why you let me die? You just can't do that. But we do that with things in our life all the time. We do what we want to do, and then when it doesn't work out, we say, God, why did you do this? So your neighbor say, God gives man free will. And as, a, and as a result, you can choose to keep the devil out of your life, or you can choose to allow him to come into your life. But if you allow him to come into your life, then you cannot blame God. You cannot actively fight against something if you think God has ordained it or permitted it. That's the reason why we stress to people that as tragedy happens, do not blame God. You, you can't say, well, the Lord let me get cancer so he could teach me a lesson and then pray and then pray that the cancer go away. You can't pray against something that you believe God gave you. Now, understand, because God is, is, has such infinite wisdom, he has ways to allow us to glean wisdom out of tragedy, but he never causes tragedy. He has the ability that when you are hurt, that when you are disappointed, when you are disillusioned, that he has the ability to cause you to come out of that situation better than you went in, but he never caused the disillusionment to come. Tell your neighbor, say, that's why you got to know God. Consider when the Israelites came out of Egypt. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They tempted God, and the Bible says they limited the Holy One of Israel. You, When you're going through life, you got to know clearly the kind of things that are happening in your life that are God-ordained and those things that are happening in your life that are devil-ordained. And the truth of the matter is sometimes we don't even realize it, but we're partnering with Satan to do certain things in our life. You know, we all know what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat, but that don't mean we all do it. And when you don't do it, you partner with the devil in that area of your life. You can't sit down at the table and pray the Lord take out all the calories out of all the foods you know you shouldn't be eating. You, you, you just can't do that. That's not how it works. So we've got to learn to operate in, in cohesion with God's system. The Bible says this in Psalm 78, 41. I want you to actually see this one. Psalm 78 and 41. It says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now notice this. He says they turned back and they tempted God. Whenever you are in faith and you begin to have doubt and unbelief, you limit the Holy One of Israel. Whenever, whenever God wants to do something in your life and you, through doubt and unbelief, restrict him, you limit him. You limit God from being good to you. 
you limit God from being able to cause those things to, to manifest in your life that will be a blessing to you and as a result a blessing to other people. So the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear that we have to be careful that when we are in faith that we don't allow things to happen that causes us to turn back or to be tempted to go back. When Pastor Sean was talking about staying small, that's being tempted. See, some of us have made this journey from not having enough to having just enough. But the Lord wants to take us from having just enough to a place of more than enough. But if you get tempted to stay right here, then you miss out on all the rewards of being over here and all the people you could bless by being over here. Listen, there, there is, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but hear how I'm saying it. There's no honor in being poor. Because if you are poor, you can't help anyone. That, that doesn't mean that we hadn't all had struggles. We don't all go through something. But the will of God is for you to have more than enough. In fact, the Lord has been talking to me and he's been saying to me that he wants me to live by the 70-30 principle. He's been talking to me. And, and, his, and when he first started talking to me about it, here's how I know I was settling. Because when he first started talking to me about it, the first thing I started thinking is, okay, what could I reduce in my life? And God said, I didn't say nothing about cutting nothing out. Now, I'm trying to help you to understand how he talks to me. The first thing that went on in my type A, a sequential mind was, okay, I can do 70-30. Somebody said, what's 70-30? 70-30 means if I get $100 in, $70 is what I live off of. The other 30%, 10% goes to saving, 10% goes to tithe, 10% goes to offer. I'm supposed to live off the 70. I was like, well, I can live off the 70. All I got to do is get rid of direct TV. All I got to do is reduce this. All I got to do, and God said, that's, but, but that's a cutback mentality, and I never called you to do that. He said, I want you to live off the 70-30 principle, and I want the 70 to become more than the 100 you got right now. He's a God of increase. He's a God of increase. God wants you to live strategically, but he never talks about strategically being a cutback mentality. He says, so I want you to understand, don't tempt me. Don't, 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 don't be tempted to stay small. That's why, that's why I got all over me when she kept talking about don't play small. God wants us to be big. Say, I am big. God wants you to live big. He wants you to do everything big because he's going to get the glory out of it when you do. You have to cooperate with God to see his will come to pass in your life. If you don't cooperate with God, that, that's the whole idea. Yes, God has already done it. But in order for you to see it, you got to cooperate with God. God has already blessed you with all spiritual blessings. But if you don't cooperate with God, then you won't see it. And that's what Pastor Sean was saying earlier. Yes, we've been talking about the fact that if you sin and you're saved, that sin doesn't send you to hell. But you can't live a life of disobedience because that's not cooperating with God. You've got to cooperate with God. So if God says there's a standard of holiness, you've got to reach that standard of holiness. Not because you're trying to get to heaven, because that's how you cooperate with God to get all the promises. The Bible lets us know that there is a way that seemeth right. It says there's a way that seems right. It says, but the end thereof does what? It leads to destruction. So you can't be like, yo, I'm just going to cast off restraints. Pastor Edwin done taught me about grace. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to ball out. I don't care what I do. The Lord loves me. He does. But that's not cooperating with God. And that will not get you the things that you desire. 
How do I know? Because God says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man, that shall he. So if you're always reaping disobedience, guess what you're going to sow? If you're always sowing it, guess what you're going to reap? Disobedience. Now the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 7 and 17. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17. I love this. It says, if thou shalt in thine heart. Now, where does all disobedience start? In your heart. You're not disobedient when you do the action. You're disobedient in your heart when you plan to do it. That, 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 that is when you're disobedient because you get a word about what you should do. There are times, there are times that I know it's true that people get a word about what they should sow and they consider their bank account or they consider what they got to do and they don't sow. You're not disobedient when you didn't sow. You're disobedient when you contemplate whether or not you're going to obey God or not. People don't get divorced when they sign the paper. They get divorced in their heart first. That's why they even go get the papers to sign. So you got to understand, this scripture says, if thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I. Now watch this. He says, if you say in your heart that you can't do something, if you say in your heart this won't work out, if you say in your heart, I'll never have enough. If you say in your heart, we can never live in a house like that. If you say in your heart, we can never take a vacation like that. If you say in your heart, my business will never get that big. He says, if you say it in your heart, how can I? God dispose of them. He says, if you make them bigger than me, how can I beat something you made bigger than me? He says, how can I get rid of something in your life when you have determined that the thing in your life is bigger than I am? It's really what Jesus said when, when he was going around healing people. They said Jesus was healing people everywhere. And then he went back to his hometown and they said he couldn't do anything. He couldn't perform. Why? Because they didn't see him as a healer. They only saw him as Joseph and Mary's little baby. And because that's all he was, that's all he could produce. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, God is bigger than any problem or any situation I will ever encounter. Now, I wish three folk believed that enough to give God some praise. Understand, God cannot bring deliverance in your life if you yield to fear through unbelief and doubt. If you yield to fear. Notice, every time Jesus got ready to do something miraculous, what would he tell the people? Fear not. He said it. He, I, I, I think at one time I had counted, I think it was 74 times in the New Testament that Jesus says, fear not. Why does he say fear not? Because what he's getting ready to do won't work if they allow fear to be in their life. So he's literally getting ready to heal them. He's getting ready to do something magnificent in their life. And what he says is, do not fear. Or he says, fear not. Because he understands that if they get in fear, then they can't attach their faith to what he's already done in the spirit realm. And so it's important for you that when things happen, you do not get in fear. You have to choose to believe God's will. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the 9th to the 10th verse, it says, for I am, this is Paul talking, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. He says that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, he says, look, if anybody shouldn't be called an apostle, it should be me. 
He said, I kill more people than anybody else. He says, he says, he says I'm, I'm a raggedy man. I, 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 if anybody shouldn't be, a, if anybody doesn't qualify, I don't qualify. But notice, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It says, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. And I like this, but watch this next part. He says, but I labored more abundantly than all of them. See, just because you've been graced with something don't mean you ain't got to work at it. I'm going to let you catch that for a minute. Paul wasn't bragging. Or he wasn't just bragging on himself. What he said was, look, I don't qualify. I know I don't qualify. I know I've done so much stuff that I don't even deserve it. He says, but God's grace qualified me. But I didn't just stop with the grace. I then did something the rest of them didn't do. I worked harder than the rest of them. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. He says, yet it wasn't just me, but it was the grace of God which was with me. In other words, he says, I didn't just use grace and I didn't just use faith. I used them both. And both of them caused me to be greater than all the other apostles. Now, somebody said, well, that's really arrogant of Paul. No, no, no. When God has called you to something, you ought to be the best at it. Whatever God has called you to, your desire should be the best. I wrote a Facebook post the other day because I was thinking about it. Do you know that, that in the kingdom of God is one of the only places we can't say we want to be the best? If you're a teacher, you can say, I want to be the best teacher it is. If you're an instructor, you can say, I want to be the best instructor there is. If you're a dancer, you can say, I'm going to be the best dancer that I am. If you're a coach, you can say, I want to be the best life coach there ever is. If you're a musician, you can say, I want to play better than everybody else. But as a preacher, if I say, I want to preach and be the best preacher ever lived, people go, oh, no, now, see, you done got in flesh now. You done got in flesh. No, 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 no. Paul said, I labored more than all the other apostles. I studied the scripture more than everybody else. I spent more time in prayer than everybody else. So the revelation I have, it's not just because of grace. It's because of grace and my faith. Because whatever you believe in, you ought to put some work behind. The grace of God is the same toward every person. The grace of God is the same toward every person. But not everybody labors abundantly to see what God's purposes and plan is for their lives. Hear me when I say this. God has graced every person in FOC, but everybody won't reach their destiny at the same time. And some of it is because some folk will grab hold of what God said and sprint with it. Other folks will grab hold of what God said and jog with it. Other folks will grab hold of what God said and walk with it. But some folks will grab hold of what God said and sit on it. And if you sit on what God said, it's still yours, but it will not manifest in your life. It is still yours. It still belongs to you. It's still a great confession. But if you don't get up and do something with what God has given you, then you will be the same person you were before you received the idea or the thing that God told you. God has a plan for your life that is far superior to anything that you could ever plan on your own. God has a plan for you that is so big that if you could tap into it, it would change how you literally see the world. You need to realize that you follow him, and as following him, he takes you to a new level. 
You need to do whatever it takes to follow God while balancing the power of both grace and faith. God, by grace, gives you giftings. He gives you talents and abilities that are completely independent of anything that you deserve. Everything you have, every ability that you have, you don't deserve it. But God gave it to you because he wanted you to use it to be a blessing to yourself and to other people. And I, so, somebody asked me one time, they said, well, if, if you got millions of dollars, would, would you just use it to help everybody? Not all of it. Not all of it. Because that, that's not the purpose of it. See, and see, but see, people want to be, people try to be overly spiritual about something that ain't spiritual. That he never intended for you to take all that you had to give it away so that you would now be. The Bible says this. It says the poor will be with you always. He didn't intend for you to always be the poor. In fact, when I bless people with money sometimes, I give them, and, and, and they say, oh, I'm going I'm to I'm get this to the church. I'm saying, give my money back. If, if, I give, if I give you $100 and you tell me you're going to get $100 to the church, you're going to still be broke. No, no, no. If I give you $100, you take 70 of it, and you take 10 of it to save, you can tie 10 and give 10, but you ought to take the rest to do something for yourself with. That's the principle of God. That is the principle. You have to participate with God. You need to discover what God has done by grace, what he's provided for you, and what his will is for your life. Then there are needs to be, then there needs to be an appropriate response on your part, which is what the Bible calls faith. Whenever you respond appropriately to God, you're responding in faith. Although it's a major doctrine in the body of Christ, notice this, there are only two places in scripture where predestination is actually mentioned. There's only two places. I was studying this a couple weeks ago, and I was thinking, okay, this, this idea that God's already done it sounds like predestination. If God's already, because here's the question as a thinker, I go, okay, if God's already done it, then why ain't I got it? Anybody else thought that? I mean, come on now, you ain't the only one. If God, Pastor, you keep saying God already did it, where are that? We don't even use good English, where are that? If God already done it, the, the reality of it is, is there's only two places in the Bible where God ever talks about predestination. The first one is in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. And the other time it can be found is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 11. But I want to focus on Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30 says this. Now watch this. For whom he did foreknow. So that's me. He also did predestinate. So that's me. Now watch this. God knew you before you were you. He predestined something for you before he knew you. What did he predestine? That you be conformed to the image of his, that he might be the firstborn among many. So the only thing that God predestined, which means that he has already made available for every person, is that you're going to be changed or conformed into the image of his son. Now, I can hear what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, but what if I don't get changed into his image? Watch this. Nobody, and I do mean nobody, has been predestined to be saved and go to heaven or to be lost and go to hell. That is every man's choice. That is every man's choice. This idea that 144,000 people have been predestined to go to that, 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 that would be against the will of God. Because if he picked 144 and I'm 145, I need to know that. Come on now. Because if, if, I'm one, if, if, if it's 144,000, I'm just keeping it real. If it's only 144,000 who going to get in and I'm 144,001, 
I, I might live different. But God didn't predestine that. The only thing he predestined was that you and I will be conformed into the image of his son. He didn't predestine for us to go to heaven or for us to go to hell. That's our choice. But once you become born again, once that happens, predestination and predetermination takes effect. You will become conformed to the image of his son. Now, for you as a believer, the question is, when will that happen? Well, in 1 John 3 and 2, it says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then in 1 John 4, 17, it says, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So if you've been born again, it is already predetermined that you will ultimately be like Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If you will cooperate with God, you can experience being like Jesus while you're here on the earth. You can experience it in this lifetime. And you can experience it to the degree that you renew your mind. So if you go in this word and you find out how this word works, because this word is the kingdom of God. It's God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. If you can get your mind to line up with this kingdom right here, you will live today according to this kingdom. But you can be saved and never conform to this kingdom and die and then you will be like Jesus when he comes back because the Bible tells us that if we don't cooperate with God that eventually we'll be like Jesus anyway because we'll be like him when he returns but I don't know about you I don't want to wait to experience heaven when I get to heaven when I can experience heaven while I'm on the earth the Bible says you should have days of on the Days of heaven on the earth. So how do I experience being like Jesus while I'm on the earth? I have to change how I think. I have to change my mindset. I have to change what I believe. I have to stop thinking that the things in life just happen because they're predetermined. They're not predetermined. Tell your neighbor, say, I get to choose what happens in my life. Let me tell you something. That is not secular humanism. That is what the word of God says. It says, we call those things that be as though they or they already existed. So I have to act like it. I have to say those things about my life before I ever see them. I'm already declaring. We have a church on the East Coast, a church on the West Coast, and we have a church here, and we pastor them all successfully. How are you going to do that? I'm not quite sure yet, but I know God said it. So I don't have to be concerned about the how part yet. I don't have to get into the minutia of the details and get overwhelmed because, oh my God, how are we going to do it without having a private jet? If God called us to both coasts and the middle, he'll figure out a way to do it. Sometimes God just wants you to say yes. Sometimes he just, he don't want you to ask a thousand questions and have to have it figured out. He just wants you to say, yeah, Lord. You said yes, Lord. Oh, you want, you want me to, yes, Lord. Listen, God didn't predestinate and he didn't predetermine anyone to be a mess. He didn't predestinate anybody to be sick. He didn't predestine anyone to be broke. He didn't predestine anyone to be a failure. He didn't predestine anybody to be crazy or to be difficult to be around. He didn't predestinate or predetermine anybody to be anything other than like Christ. So don't be saying stuff like this. Well, you know, I got a temper because my family got a temper. He didn't predestine you to have a temper. 
Don't be talking about, well, you know, I'm quick to go off on somebody because my mama was quick to go off on somebody. He didn't predestine you to be quick to go off on somebody. He predestined you. Stop, stop aligning yourself with things that he didn't call you to be. If you, if you want to be predestined to something, say, I've been predestined to be like Christ. What's that mean? To have nothing missing and nothing broken in my life. God has great plans for you. Say, my God has great plans for my life. It's why the Bible says in Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. To give you an expected end. He has great plans for you. And so what you have to not do is you have to not discount the plan because it ain't happening as fast or the way that you think it should work. I can tell you that when we started this church in 2001, huh? in 2000, when we started the church in 2000, there's no way in the world at that time that I thought this is where we would be. I just didn't. Because I had, a, I had an idea of what God was going to do. But I can't quit on the dream God gave because it doesn't look like it today. Because maybe it has been six, maybe it has been 17 years we've been doing this. But who knows, next year it can look just like what God said. And if I quit today, I never get to see what God said. So you have to ask yourself, it doesn't matter how far I am in the process, am I willing to go all the way to the end? And, and, and you, and because you, you can't force his, his so I'm going to use a, a, a something that some of y'all understand, some of y'all won't. So when I got ready to, to, to become a member of a fraternity, okay, when I first got ready to become a member of that particular fraternity, I knew after the first night I was going to make it. I knew I was going to make it. Why? Because I had already experienced something to get into it. So why stop then? Because you come out with nothing. Some of y'all been believing God at least for a year. You've been believing God for two. You've been believing God for five. You've been believing God for ten. Why would you forfeit all of that work not to get what God has already said? So at the end of the day, there were people on our line who, who quit. They didn't make it. They stopped. They quit going through the process. And so they can say that they went through some of the stuff we went through, but they don't have the stuff that we have. So you got to be like that. I don't want to go through life and do some of the stuff the church people have, but then I get what God told me. Because if you don't get what God told you, what's the point of you being here? Why are you waking up? We, have, we don't have church at 11. We have church at 930. So you're getting up early in the morning. You're coming to church. You put your nice clothes on. You get them sweaty. You have to take them to the cleaners and pay to get them clean. You got to do all that stuff. And then you're going to quit before you see what God's saying. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, there is no quitting me. Oh, I wish somebody, tell your, tell your, that neighbor didn't believe it. Tell your other neighbor, say, neighbor, there is no quit in me. There is no quit in me. There is no quit. There is no quit. Listen, people have made wrong choices, okay? People have messed up, and sometimes you suffer because of those wrong choices. But God never predetermined for you to suffer from bad choices. God didn't say, oh, if you turn down this road, I'm going to get you. In fact, the Bible says he makes paths with an S, which means that even if I don't go the right way I'm supposed to go, God has made a path to get me back on track. 
The only reason I stay on the bad path is because I keep ignoring the signs that keep saying right path. How many of you know that you can drive, you can have a GPS, but if you're told to ignore your GPS, you can get lost? Even with a GPS, if your GPS says turn right on Hazel Street, you go, no, I ain't turning right, I'm going to turn left on Davis. And you just turn left, it'll try to redirect you, and it says when you get to the end of that, make a U-turn, I ain't making no U-turn, I'm making another left. If you just keep ignoring the GPS, even though it keeps speaking to you, have you ever noticed the GPS don't just stop talking to you? You can drive all, it just keep on trying to, that's how God is. He just keep trying to reroute you. He just still talking to you like, I'm going left. Please take a U-turn. You pass there. You just keep balling out down the interstate. When you get to exit 48, make a left and get off. You just ball past 48. I mean, you just keep driving, doing what you want to do. He just keeps talking to you. And watch this. Even though you may get frustrated because you don't know where you're going, at some point, the moment you begin to listen to the GPS, the moment you begin to go, okay, I'm going to get off on this next exit. When you get off and make a U-turn, you're right back on track. I wish this. God, do you ever know, the GPS don't be like, I told you six miles ago you were supposed to make that left. You big dummy. We could have been there. That, that, the GPS don't do that. Neither does God. He just says, hey, make, make the turn. Get, get back on track. Get back on track. Go this way. Get back on track. He keeps trying to get us back on track. And the moment we decide to get back on track, all he does is lead us to the destination. He don't even talk to us about the wrong turns. The GPS don't be like, you know, okay, you finally made it after an hour. The GPS don't do that. It just says you have arrived at your destination. Amen? Listen, I take great comfort in knowing that God is a good God. I've had a lot of negative circumstances happen in my life, and those things happened to me, but I understand that God did not order them. Listen, at the very least, it was the devil, and half the time, it was me cooperating with the devil. Now, we just have to tell the truth. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations because we put ourselves there. It wasn't God, and it wasn't even the devil. You just did it. Sometimes we, I, I really believe this. He, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff he didn't do, but the devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff he didn't do too. Because we just decide we want to do something. We just decide we want to do it, and then we do it, and then when it goes bad, we say, well, it must have been the devil. No, it was just you. You did that. And so we have to make sure that we understand that, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in bad spots because we're hard-headed. We don't listen. And when we don't listen, we end up in bad spots. But I'm telling you, God never does anything for you. Your response for your faith has to be that if God instructed me to do something, it must be for my good. We used to tell our kids this all the time. We said the Holy Ghost tells you things to keep you saved. So we tell our kids, literally, and it's happened for Tay a couple of times, she's been ready to come home from either Kansas City or from Conway, and she was supposed to come home, and she says, I feel like the Lord said, don't get on the road in the morning. Our thing has always been, nothing is more important than obeying the Holy Ghost. And if he tells you don't come, if you, had a, if you had plans for in the morning and you can't make it, you rearrange your plans. But what you don't do is usurp the, the Holy Ghost authority because you want to get home. Because the idea is to get home safe. And so we as adults have to learn that too. Sometimes we just dismiss the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit tell us something like, ah, I got it. Oh, I ain't gonna do that. I mean, I mean, and, and, and it's, we just have to realize that that's that human part of us that we have to be careful about. Because the Bible says it's the small foxes that destroy the vines. 
So yeah, you believe God when he say don't, don't shoot the person because you're angry. You believe God and don't shoot them. But, do you, but when he says don't cuss them out, do you hold your tongue? Because both of those are important. Amen? The things of God don't come to pass. The things of God do not come to pass automatically. I think that's what saints have to understand. The things of God don't come to pass automatically. When God makes you a promise, that promise is sure. But it manifesting in your life has to do with you appropriating your faith. If you don't pursue the things God has told you to pursue, you won't get them. You won't get them. You can't be, we can't be in church and prophesy to you. I can't tell you the number of people who contact me sometimes and they ask me to help them with their resume or something. I help them with their resume and I spend time and I talk to them. And Pastor Sean is right about that because I am a pastor and as a pastor I care about the people who I pastor. So I would literally rewrite that resume and say, okay, here's the job, apply for this one. And then they'll tell me, well, I don't qualify for that. I knew you didn't qualify for it when I read the job description. But that wasn't my instruction. My instruction was to apply for this job. Don't tell me you didn't qualify. I can read. It says you got to have this and this. I don't care about that. So if you don't pursue the thing, sometimes the devil, sometimes the devil will uh, orchestrate things to make you think you don't qualify. But I can tell you the number of times that I didn't qualify on paper. I used to say, and I still believe this, I just need the interview. Now, now, now listen, now, now, now I'm not being braggadocious. If you let me sit down in front of you, I will not only convince you to give me that job, you are going to pay me more than you thought you were going to pay somebody. I just need to sit down before you. I'm like, Paul, I have labored more than them all. And so sometimes it's just about understanding that when God calls you to do something, he doesn't need you to justify why you're doing it. God tells you to apply for the job, you apply for it. Forget what they say. Because here's the thing, a person is always making a decision. I learned that years ago. It's, I don't care if it's a group of people or a person. There's not a computer that's using the algorithm to hire folks. It's a person. And the Bible says that literally God took Pharaoh's heart and he turned Pharaoh's heart to let his people go. And then God turned Pharaoh's heart to go get his people so he could wipe Pharaoh out. God did that. I, don't have, I had folks who hired me and, and, and a month later, like, I don't know why I hired you. <laughs> no, really. I had a man hire, he hired me one time and he said, you know what? He said, I don't need to know why I hired you. You ain't going to stay here long, are you? I said, not real long. <laughs> not real long. But it was a good job to put on my resume for the next one I'm going to apply for. But, but, he, but he didn't have a choice because when God speaks to a man, even if he don't know God, he can't help but obey. So, so, so you know, that's what I'm telling you. you. Yes, yes, you should have a good credit score. Yes, you should have your finance in order. Yes, all this. But don't ever negate the supernatural. Don't ever negate the supernatural. Because if God, if God says yes, man has to say yes. Understand, you have to reach out and you have to take what it is that God said is yours. You have to believe and you have to pursue the things of God. What is pursuing the things that God look like? It's different for every person. It's different for every person. But, 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 but what is clear is that God doesn't leave us without instruction. He might not answer all your questions, but he leaves us with instructions. And sometimes his instruction can be something as I, just, I was just talking about. It can be just as simple as apply. Well, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to say on the interview. You don't need to until you get there. 
Sometimes the best interview I ever had was when I didn't know what to say. Because when you get in there, you just start talking, the Holy Spirit just tells you exactly what to say. But I also don't go to interviews unprepared. No, I just got to, you know, I got to help you. You can't be like, I'm just going to let the Lord speak. You're supposed to be in there talking about IT stuff and you don't even know what the IT stuff is. You do have to have something to go with that. Because you know, now you know the saints will do a lot. The, the, the saints would be like, I'm applying for this CEO job and you ain't never had an executive position at all. I ain't saying it can't happen. I'm just saying, do you know what CEOs do? Because they do more than sit in the office behind that glass. Like, you know, the Lord is going to raise me up. He will. But you got to obey what he's telling you. Amen. Listen, faith does not move God. You cannot try to use. You cannot try to trick God. You can't be like using your faith to like get God to do stuff like he's a genie. All faith does is reach out and appropriate what Jesus has already done. So literally, it's like if I take a tray of donuts and I put it out there and I say, you can have one. If you don't ever stick your hand out to get the one, even though it's there, you'll never have it. I don't like donuts. A bunch of kale. <laughs> so if you got a batch of kale and he says, hey, the kale belongs to you, and you don't ever reach out and get that kale, you're never going to have it. Y'all ain't like donuts. I got something for you. Faith does not move God. If you're pointing to your own goodness and you're looking to how well you're doing, if you're keeping score of whether you did it right and whether you did this and you did this and you got a checklist that says you qualify, you're going to always be disappointed because you're trying to get something through your own righteousness. You're putting faith in your efforts and performance, and that's not where faith belongs. It is good for you. It's good for you to, to pray. It's good for you to fast. It's good for you to read your word. It's good for you to attend church. It's good for you to tithe. But those things don't affect God. Those things do not affect God. God's love for you isn't based on what you do. Now, here's something that I wanted to say. Your holiness or lack thereof does not change God's heart towards you. But your holiness will change your heart toward God. Now, why is that important? If I mess up, it doesn't change God's heart toward me. But if I keep messing up, it does affect my relationship with God, how I see God. So when he says, be ye holy, for I am holy, which is one of the only scriptures you can read in the Bible backwards and it says the same thing. So holiness is key. Why is holiness important? It changes my heart toward God. Can I give you an example? If you take a man and he says he loves his wife, as righteous as that man is toward his wife, it's a determining factor of how his heart is toward her. But if you take a man and he says he loves his wife, but he doesn't respect her, he doesn't listen to her, he doesn't, he doesn't treat her as an equal, he always wants to be a uh, uh, authority over her, he cheats on her, he puts her in positions to feel bad, his heart toward her won't be loving. Because you cannot do unloving things and be loving toward a person. So if you are loving toward God, it causes your heart to change. God going to love you regardless. He said, I'm married to the backslider. 
God says, I ain't never going to divorce you. I'm going to always love you. But it will affect how you, how you respond to God. So when we are talking to you about, hey, yeah, we know the performance and all that stuff is not necessary. And we know that we're saved by grace. You ain't never going to hear us tell, tell you can get wild out and do whatever you want to. You shouldn't have coarse communication. You shouldn't be fornicating. Well, fornicating don't send me to hell. No, but it can put you in a grave early. There are consequences to sin, and, and as I move on from this message, I don't want that to be avoided. You cannot just do everything you want to do and expect there not to be natural consequences. That's aside from God loving you. And he will love you while you're broke, while you're sick, and getting your heart busted. So you got to make sure that when God is telling you to do something, it's not because he's trying to be a hard taskmaster. It's not. When God says, hey, I need you, you need to go to church. When he says, you need to not forsake the sending of yourself together. He ain't trying to be, trying to take your TV time away. You got DVRs and all kind of stuff now. You can watch whatever. Most people being watch everything anyway. You binge watch, being watch it. I mean, you just, you just, you just watching everything. You got nine episodes. You can't. I told somebody, I said, if, I, if it's a show, I don't care how, if it's past season three, I'm out. I'm never watching three whole seasons to catch up. You better catch me at two. I got two in me, but not three. Mm -mm. And so the reality of it is, is that we just have to get to the place where we say, you know what? I love God. I'm not living my life based on all these rules, but I want to live my life in a way that's pleasing to God. Because when I live a life that's pleasing to God, me and God rock real well. And that's the reality of it is. And so I have to learn to live this balance of grace and faith. My faith is based on what God has already done. And as a result, I'm excited about where my life is going. And that's what you have to be able to say. I'm excited about where my life is. Anybody excited about where their life is going? Listen, I have enjoyed you guys these last eight weeks. I'm not leaving. I'll still be here. But uh, right, right, right. I know. But but I'm going. I'm I'm going uh, for the month in the month of August. I'm going to be with the kids three of those times. And so uh, as Pastor Sean is teaching, I'll be listening to the messages because I listen to them uh, during the week. But I want you guys to tune in and listen. We're 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 not even changing directions. We're we're just elevating. We're elevating. She's been talking to me about some of the stuff she's going to talk to you about. You want to be here for the month of August. You really do. I know we got another Sunday in July, but you want to be here for the month of August. You want to be here. We're going to have four uh, Sundays in a row we're going to meet. You don't want to miss any of them if you don't have to. You're going to want to hear this word. You're going to want to apply it to your life. And invite somebody to church. Invite somebody. Let's, 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 let's begin being intentional about inviting people to church. You know, I was, we, we love you guys. We, 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 we really do. And I was talking to those people as they was, you know, begging me to bring Pastor Sean out there. I was just like, look, the Lord has already told us what we're going to do. And we're not going to do it before it's time. But it did make me think. It was like, okay, the same word. In fact, I think sometimes she preach harder here than she do when she's gone. I really do. I think sometimes when she, when she is here, she is, she is giving you more of her than when she is gone. And I'm like, if she is giving what she's giving when she's out there and these people are wanting to snatch her away and, and, and start a ministry, it, it, then, then it's because we don't understand what we have in our midst. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to try to blow her head up or anything like that. The reality of it is the Lord has blessed all of us to be able to sit and hear her words. And sometimes I think when you hear something, if you, can, if you grew up with a whole family of folk 
who 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 can sing, you just kind of expect singing. You know, if you go with a whole family of people who are funny, you expect funny. And you can get so used to something being a certain way that you don't even realize what you got. And I think that's the case sometimes. And so I want us to be intentional. I told myself I'm going to be more intentional. Uh, I'm going to go back to, to uh, I was doing it for a bit and, and it was working. And I'm going to go back to inviting people to church and even people who got a church home. Because here's what I found. There's a bunch of people who go to church ain't happy with their church home. Now, I'm still baffled by why they keep going back. I, I, I'm not built that way. If I stop liking this church, I'll quit going. <laughs> I, I just don't do that. I don't go to, if I ain't getting nothing out of it, I, I'll be like, you know what, I love y'all, but can't you make Cracker Barrel? And so there are people, and sometimes you just have to tell them, look, are you getting anything out of that? Because if you ain't getting nothing out of your church, and you'll at least come here one Sunday and see, because if you don't, you ain't got nothing to lose. Because you ain't getting nothing out of it. And I think what happens is sometimes we see that as being rude because it's like, oh, I don't want to do that to people. Man, yeah. People are waiting on you. Sometimes people need to be asked to leave their dysfunction. And how do I know it's dysfunction? Because people call me like, hey, will you and Pastor Sean uh, counsel me? And I go, well, don't you go to church somewhere? Yeah, I go to so-and-so. Well, why don't you ask your pastors? Oh, my pastors don't like each other. Well, why do you go to church there? No, real conversations. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend time and effort pastoring you through this issue when you're just gonna go back to that same place and in a month from now, you're gonna be in that same situation. You're wasting my time and yours. If you really want your life change, come and sit here for a while, for a little while. Now, one thing we, we get, now, now, now we, we can, listen, we've been dysfunctional. We can help you work through dysfunctionality. We can help you get to the place where you love your spouse, you honor your spouse, you're not abusing them, you ain't talking crazy, you ain't, you ain't want, not wanting them to come home. We've been through all them stages. We've been through all that. But sometimes people have to admit that they ain't, they ain't got it all together. Northwest Arkansas is funny like that. It really is. And I'm done teaching, but, but Northwest Arkansas is funny like that. Folk want to act like they got it all together. They won't, even, they won't even admit that they go weeks without talking to their spouse. So on Sunday, you laughing and you grinning and you taking your Facebook selfie for the week, but you ain't even talking to each other during the week. You, you're right. As soon as they click, you were like, yeah. I'm telling you, that is not what God wants. And God, listen, we have to get to the point where we tell people, look, you can forget about your pretense. We know folks have we know folks have money trouble. We know people have marriage trouble. We know people have uh, 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 vocational trouble. We troubles happen. You ain't gotta act like you got it all together, but you can come to a place that'll teach you how to get it together. And sometimes we just have to tell people that, you know. So I've I've been a little uh, a little more upfront. Passion is right. I, I I talk to most people and spend time and. I got people calling me about their addictions and all that stuff, and I'm trying to talk and work them through it. And I spend three months talking them through, and they get free, and then I don't hear from them. And then six months later, they right back in the same spot. I'm like, you, I mean, not to be real, I mean, like, you wasted my time. So now I just tell people, listen, I can help you, but you got, you, you got to have some, she calls it skin in the game. I'm like, I can help you, but you got to put some skin in the game. You got to come here. You got to come and sit and listen. And because because sometimes I believe the Lord will heal you, and I ain't even got to be saying nothing. He'll talk to you while I'm preaching. He'll talk to you while she's preaching. Somebody hug on you and it'll deliver you. 
And so some some of y'all y'all know y'all got friends like that. So they keep wearing y'all out, and you keep you like me. You keep wanting to pray for them and bless them. And come on, Pastor, you want to do all this stuff for them, and you want to see them live their best life, and they suck you dry for all the info. You come to church, get all this wisdom and knowledge, and go share it with them, and then they go on and do what they're gonna do. So yeah, so my spiritual father's working with me on that. I'm just having to tell people, listen. You know, I love you, but if you want to change, you got to come here. This is where change happens. You got to come here. So, y'all pray for me as I keep telling people no. I'm good about no about money. I'm good about no about money. Pastor Sean said the other day, she said, boy, you love money. I said, no, I love God and Camp Strip money. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's God, Phantom Money. It's, it's, it's for money. For money. <laughs> it's for money. <laughs> Love my family money. I love it. I love them. And so, uh, so I can, but, but, but when it comes to wanting to see people live their best life, I can't, I can be a sucker for it. Cause I, I'm telling you, the Lord changed my life in such a way. I'm like, I know the Lord can change yours. And so I'm, I'm a sucker when it comes for that, but I'm, I'm learning. So y'all pray for me. Pesha. Amen. Good word today.